I want to start a series this morning called Life in the Family. Life in the Family. I recognize that in a setting such as our church that there are those of you that come from a traditional family. I also know that there are some of you that come from single parent families and some of you are experiencing that. Some of you are single. Some of you have come from blended families and I want you to know that over this series we will be addressing all of those. I don't want anybody to think, oh, it's a series on the family and I'm not married so I'm not going to go. I want you to know that there is included in the Word of God directions for all of us and how that we can be healthy in the family. And today I would like to take a look at the topic of your family tree. I, I watched a couple of weeks ago as the president from France, President Macron, came and visited our president, and they had on TV a ceremony. The president of France brought with him a little oak tree from a certain region of France that he wanted to, to give to our country as it represented the strength of this oak, which represented the bonds of, of uh, allyship that we have had through the years. And and the TV cameras were there as these two men took gold shovels and dug in the ground, and they had this beautiful ceremony to plant this tree. It was the next day that reporters were looking where this had been, and the tree was gone. And in its place was just some sod that was laying there, and, and the report that came back was this. Even if you're the president from France and you bring a tree in, it still has to go through quarantine. And so they had the ceremony, and then they took the tree out of the ground and took it wherever it could be isolated to make sure that, uh, that this tree was healthy. So for those of you that have done international traveling, you recognize you cannot bring vegetables in. You can't bring, you, you know, they ask if you've been to the farms, what kind of bugs you have on you. And, well, even the president of France has to bring in a tree that gets quarantined. But they needed to make sure that this tree was healthy before they planted it. I believe that as we approach the topic of your family tree, that there are some things that the Word of God has to say to us concerning the health of our families. And I would like to address that today. I'm going to ask that you would turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 5 and read through verse 8. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning and as we begin this new topic and series on the family, I ask that there would be a recognizable and definable presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would begin to speak to each of us regardless of the family circumstances that we came from or where we find ourselves today, that you would bring us to a place through your word where you can lead us to health. Not only as individual families, but also, Lord, as we apply these truths to the family of God, as we celebrate life together here at Grace Assembly, we ask that you would lead us and that you would guide us and that you would minister to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In the assessment that you have within your bulletin this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is as I go through each of these points, and I know you're looking at them thinking, oh my goodness, there's 10 of them. If you spend five minutes on each one, we're going to be here till past lunch. I promise I won't spend five minutes on each one, but I do want you to have an opportunity to at least at this stage of this series to begin 
to discern in your own heart where things might be with you and your family as it relates to each of these ten traits of a healthy family. And today I want to start with the the first one being irrational love. Irrational love. What this simply means is that each individual within a family feels as if they are treasured. Feels as if they are treasured. I call this one, you are loved just because you showed up. Just because you're there. Just because you're in the family. Everybody loves you. And it's a love that is for you regardless of, uh, of your age or your gender or your competencies or your attractiveness or your performance capabilities. In fact, there was a or psychiatrist who titled this Irrational Love. And it says that this starts by when your parents saw your little red wrinkled face right after you had been born, when you're at your most attractive, they looked at you and there was a decision that was made at that moment that I am going to pour more love into your little life than your heart will be able to take in. I will shower you and cover you with the love that you need. And so irrational love flows throughout a child's life to the point that for those of you who are in college and you're sitting here and I talked to some of you getting ready for your finals, we'll be praying for you, but you still need to study, that there's something that happens when you lay in your dorm room at night and you begin to think back over your life and you know that though you may be hundreds of miles away from home, you are loved. Throughout your life, you've been loved with words that were spoken to you or you've felt the loving embrace of family members each and every day. You've had loving conversations. There were loving boundaries that were built into your life, loving discipline that was given to you to keep you in a way that would keep you safe. Maybe you've experienced the support of parents who loved you through piano lessons and soccer games and choir concerts and all of the things that were there. They may have loved you by doing your laundry or providing food for you or giving you birthday parties so that when you're laying in that room as a college student, all you think about when you think of home is, I have been loved, irrationally loved. My heart gets warm. My self-esteem has been built. I'm thankful for where I came from. And this love that has been poured out in you then becomes the foundation for you to love and it goes generationally. An irrational love. Sometimes there's a playfulness with this love. My son and I developed when he was just old enough to stand up a special handshake that we would do in celebration when our favorite football team, which is the Nebraska Cornhuskers, would score a touchdown. He's never lived in Nebraska, but he's a fan of Nebraska by virtue of the fact that I pressured him into it. (laughs) So we would dress up in our red outfits on game day, and we would sit there, and when Nebraska would score a touchdown, we'd hold out our hands, and we'd slap it forward and backward. The other hand slapped forward and backward. We'd jump together and do a high five, and then we would punch our hands in the air and yell, Yay! And my wife would just laugh at us, and then she'd say, It's time for me to go to the store. But there was a playfulness that was developed in this handshake that from the time he was able to stand up to this day when we're still together, we still do the same thing. And, you know, you have to coordinate those things because if somebody new comes in, they could get punched in the face if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I've seen that take place with families as the playfulness of knowing you belong and having uniqueness comes together and it's powerful. I also recognize that some of you came from families where irrational love was not something that you experienced Some of you came from good families and some of you did not. 
And so today you need to listen to God whisper to you that just because you didn't get this kind of love doesn't mean that you can't give it to others. You can determine that you will start a new tradition by expressing your love to one another. That every dad and every brother and every uncle and every grandpa can get there. Every mother and sister and aunt and grandma can get there. There is no excuse for not passing on to your family an irrational love that is physically and verbally expressed just because you exist. So let me ask you as you take this assessment page to jot down where are you, zero being absolutely horrible, ten being the best, where is your family fit into that as you list that assessment? The second quality is that of strong communication. The presence of good communication that communicates to one another with truth and grace will set the tone for the family. And that starts with the way moms and dads communicate with each other. If mom and dad talk openly or vulnerable with each other, if mom and dad can listen to one another lovingly, can work through conflict without yelling and screaming and slamming doors or throwing things, can accept being wrong without sobbing and sulking or walking out on one another, if you can resolve disputes without drawing blood, there's a high likelihood that your children, having observed that of you, will begin to take on your methods of working through communication If they're raised in a place where issues can be talked about and resolutions can be reached and compromises can be made, then that will also be represented in the type of home you have and the way your children are. Parents talking to children and that communication became very, very uh, an interesting issue for Cindy and I early in our marriage when we were youth pastors in Holdridge, Nebraska, where we had 12 kids in our youth group. And as a result of the fact that We only had 12. They were at our house all the time. They would come over because, number one, they knew that she was going to cook. And where where food is, we find kids. And and there would be times we'd be sitting either outside or in the house, and we would just talk, and the kids would just begin to share with us. And there there were times when some of the things they were talking to us about, we would say to them, you need to talk to your parents about this. And some of the responses that we would get back are, I tried talking to my dad, but he travels a lot, and when he's home, he's exhausted. So we all know that when he comes home, he gets into his chair, and he turns on the TV, and he's not to be spoken to until he goes to bed. Or a girl would say, I tried to talk to my mom, but she works, and and we have a couple of other kids in the family. She's always tired every time I try to talk to her. She goes, I'm sorry, honey, I'm too tired for that right now. Or I tried to talk to my parents, but when I brought up something that I wanted to talk to them, when they don't know how to deal with it, they just get mad. And so I'm not bringing that subject up again. Or I tried to talk to my parents, but one of them took my side, the other took another side, and my parents ended up in a fight over me, and so I will never do that again. There was one boy in our youth group who showed up at our house with a suitcase and said that he would tried to talk to his dad and and he said, nobody listens to me like Pastor Doug and Cindy. And he says, then why don't you just move there? And so he did. (laughs) Packed a bag, came, father dropped him off at our house and we told him, no, 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 that's not how this works. I remember thinking, if God ever gives me kids, I want to make sure that in our household that there's always time to talk. In fact, to this day, many of you that have had conversations with me in the office know that I have a policy that if my wife calls or if one of my children calls 
Regardless of what's going on, I will drop everything to take that call because I want my family to know that communication with me is a priority. Far more important than you. But that's the family, and that's the way it works. And so open communication leads to amazing things in the family, and it's one of the symptoms of health. So I'd like you to take a look at your sheet of paper and that you would put a circle. Where does our family fit in on healthy communication? Where do we grade on that? Thirdly is the celebration of uniqueness. I don't know if it's God's love of variety or if it's just his sense of humor. But have any of you ever discovered how much fun he has placing in your family with the same exact DNA children that have exactly opposite personalities? Some of your parents, having raised you, Ask God for this to happen to your family because they wanted you to go through exactly what they went through. Children that you, they may look alike, but they are nowhere close to being alike or thinking alike. And within the family, there are polar opposite personalities and temperaments in the very same family. And yet at the same time, we need to learn to celebrate each other's uniqueness. God treasures you and your uniqueness. Your uniqueness is not a bother to him. He celebrates it. He loves it. He asks us as parents to do the very same thing with very different children in the very same family. In his book, Rodney Clapp, who wrote the book Families at the Crossroads, wrote this. He says, families are kind of like a training camp where we learn to accept and appreciate and celebrate the uniqueness of everyone in the family so that we can more liberally spread and share the love of Christ with the kaleidoscope variety of people that exist in the world around us. The laboratory of the family trains us to be able to move out into the world with a more radical kind of love. So in healthy families, there's no black sheep. In healthy families, there's no partiality or favoritism. In healthy families, the goal is not to crank out carbon copies of mom and dad, but to recognize that God may have given your children a uniqueness that you need to nurture and develop. And the goal is to study the children and study your children, affirm their uniqueness, find the path that God wants for them to take, and shower them with affirmation. And I would ask you to take your sheet of paper and assess, where are you in that? Where does your family grade in that? Fourth one is vows against abuse. This one bothers me probably more than anything else I've ever had to deal with. Families that are healthy need to to take a vow that they are never going to abuse or shame or control or intimidate one another. Healthy families recognize that there are certain violations that do so much damage to a family member that they must be absolutely, categorically, uncompromisingly outlawed from our house. It will not take place in this family, and we will guard each other. In my opinion, some of the most deeply wounded people that I know and that I have talked to are walking around who the deepest wounds are not from being mugged on the street or having had this experience or that. The deepest wounds come from within their own family of things that have been said to them or the way that they were treated or having uncles or aunts or somebody that took advantage of them in some way and the family failed to protect and abuse took place and it's deeply, deeply wounded them. 
When God gives us children that desire a tender and affirming words, and they, instead they get screamed at, instead they get slapped and hit and punched and bruised, it damages more than just the physical body. It damages the spirit deeply. And let me very clearly state this. I come from a generation where discipline looked a little different than it looks today. Some of you who are older are nodding your head. We got spanked with whatever was handy. It might have been a wooden spoon, spatula. If that wasn't handy, belts worked. Hairbrush. Many of you are going, oh, yes, I remember those lessons well. I'm not talking about proper discipline. And I know that that looks different in different places. I'm talking about something that's intended to hurt and to wound. And I believe that we all know what the differences of those are. I believe that in a healthy family that we should recoil at the mere thought of the conversation that we're having right now. Healthy families never want shaming or controlling or intimidation happening. And we want our families to be safe. So let me ask you on your assessment page, how is your family really, really safe? If you know that your family isn't safe, if there's some dark and very hurtful behavior, then just tell the truth. We'll be taking it to the Lord for direction. Number five is common faith. Believe it or not, common faith, even in secular research, states that common faith contributes to a highly functioning family. Healthy families seem to all share a similar spiritual belief system. And the Bible teaches from cover to cover that what parents need to do is walk with God and to impress it upon their children. Now, I know that that goes against the flavor of the day in the world in which we live when people are saying, you should let your children decide on their own what they're supposed to believe. You're not supposed to tell them what you believe. You're imprinting on them things. They That's exactly what the Bible tells us to do is imprint upon our children the things that they are to believe so that they will know the right way to live and as they get older, they won't depart from it. The scripture that we read this morning says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments, you'll notice that he didn't say these suggestions. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then there's this word, impress them on your children. Do you know that to leave an impression requires touch? To leave an impression requires touch with pressure. In other words, it's okay for us as families to say, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. This is the benefits of believing that. And we as a family, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And you are entirely in the right as you impress upon your children the importance of a common faith. And then the Bible goes so far as to say, talk about it. Talk about your faith when you're home, when you're sitting down. Talk about your faith, and that says in the Scripture, when you're walking on the road. We don't walk very much anymore, so we ride. When you're in the car, talk about your faith. Tie them as symbols on your hands. In other words, let your jewelry be uh, of a nature that may have Scriptures on it or in your homes. What you have is your decorations. Let everybody that walks into your house know by your conversation that we believe in Jesus. Get on the same spiritual page. A common faith is very important. And there is a joy that arises 
in the family, when the strength of the family is increased because of the activity of the family and worshiping together. So where are you on the assessment form as far as being on the same page as a family spiritually? I'm going to ask that you would jot down a number there. Number six, a sense of responsibility. Healthy families instill a sense of responsibility in each other. I had a conversation this week with a business manager, and and she was expressing to me uh, the kind of interviews that she has had with some of the younger people that have come through lately. And and I said, describe them to me. And she says, well, they're energetic. And I said, what are some of your frustrations? She says that some of them is that trying to teach them to have some basic responsibilities. And I said, what do you mean by basic responsibilities? She goes, trying to get them to show up regularly is one of them. They have every excuse in the world. Well, I wanted to do this today. I'm so, can I, can I switch out? And she says, and then trying to get them there on time is almost impossible. She goes, and the other thing is they don't seem to take correction very well. When as the boss I'm saying, this is the way the job has got to be and this is the way it's got to be done, they would rather quit than submit and learn to do a job well. I talked to one fast food manager he said, many times I've had to correct an employee about the proper way of, of preparing our food, and they get mad, and they bring their parents in to fight with me. As I listened, I thought, this is stuff that people should be learning in their own homes about responsibility, about teaching our children the sense of following through and learning to take correction. And we, we live in a day and age where, where people do not like to be corrected. In the first service, a friend of mine was here, Paul and Peggy Keir, who are transitioning out of pastoring in Glens Falls, and they've been with us for a couple of days. And I've known them for years, and I've known their children all since they were about born. And I recently had received a call from a county uh, that's a long way away from here, but they were calling as to what their son was like. And I told her, I said, listen, I want you to know the first thing you need to know is if I ever had an opening on my staff, I would hire this young man instantly. I love his work ethic. I've seen it all of his life. And the lady laughed and she says, you're the last interview and everybody has told me the very same thing because I've seen how that work ethic worked in their family. They worked together on those things. So how are you doing on that? Do you let your kids off? Do you tell them what to do and then when they don't do it, you just do it for them so that they continually learn that if I don't do something, everything's going to be all right? Or do you hold them accountable to teach them responsibility? So I'm going to ask that you would grade that. How well do you as a family do on teaching each other a sense of responsibility? Number seven, respect for others. I've done a lot of research on this recently. Done some reading as it relates to the the initial roots of racism. And I found in my research that racism and disrespect is a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. It's not an infection that you catch when you're traveling. It's a learned behavior. And the behavioral patterns for the way that we respect or disrespect people or the way that we feel about different groups of people starts in the home. And it gets reinforced in other areas of society, but the leaning of those things begin in the home. I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in 1959, and my dad and my family's, uh, my dad's family are all from the South. My dad met my mom when he was attending Central Bible College, 
And she was a Midwest girl, and after they married, they went back, and he was an assistant pastor in Baton Rouge for a few years. And when I was born, three months after I was born, my dad made a conscious decision that I would not be raised in the South. And so they put, picked up, and they moved to Nebraska. My dad recognized in the early 60s that there was a there was a sense of racism in the South that he did not want me raised with, that he had been raised a part of it. And as a result of that, we were taught from children that it didn't matter the skin color of an individual. It didn't matter what country they were born in. It didn't matter whether they talked like us or had an accent like us or not. We loved and respected everybody because they're uniquely created by God. And that nobody was to be talked bad about. Growing up in the Midwest, I came to, to love the diversity. And it's, when I moved to New York early in my ministry, I, that's the, one of the things I fell in love with New York is not everybody here looks the same. Oh, hallelujah. I want to pastor a multicultural church because it's the best representation of our world and the racial unity that Jesus Christ wants from all of us. I want people of every country to feel at home, in my home and in our church. And wherever we go when they meet us, I want us to be a community of hope, welcoming people home. Not certain people, but all people. Because that's the desire of God. But in order for that to happen, it must start with a basic sense of respect for everybody in our homes. I know that within our congregation, we have many teachers and administrators and those that work in the school and it comes as no shock to anybody today that the level of respect for people in authority is at an all-time low. I know this by experience because it happened to me once. I got paddled once in school. I know I look angelic. It's stunning. I was young. Do you know that when I got home, I got spanked again? That has all changed today. You see, respect is something that starts in the home. And if it's not reinforced there, it will be something that will infect the life of the individual everywhere they go. There will always be reasons why I don't have to listen to you. Bill Hybels tells a story when he was in sixth grade. He was gathering around the bus stop and there was a boy that lived in their neighborhood that would generally ride their bus and he was riding his bike up to the bus stop and he was a mentally challenged child. And the boys that were with him began to make fun of him. One of them shoved the bike over and the boy got his, his leg, pant leg caught in the chains of the bike and he fell over and his legs were all tangled up and as he's laying there, these boys are just making fun of him mercilessly and he bursts into tears and he's just bawling and the bus pulls up and everybody gets on the bus and he said, I'm sitting there in the window looking at this boy who cannot get his pant leg untangled from the chain and he's laying there and he's, he's bawling his eyes out and can't believe he was treated this way and the bus closes the door and drives off and leaves him there. He said when he went home that evening to a meal, he sat down and as they were talking about what went on with their day, Bill began to share with his dad what had happened and he said, my dad, for the first time in my life, reached over and whacked me up in the back of the head and said, tell me, son, you did something about that. Tell me that you defended that boy. Tell me that you, you told your friends to stop. Tell me you helped him up. And he goes, Dad, it, it all happened so fast. I didn't know what to do. I just got on the bus. And he said, that's not the kind of people that we are, and that's not the kind of children that we raise. He said, 
And my dad got very intense and he looked at me and says, Billy, I had a brother that was physically and mentally challenged. And after being made fun of, he jumped on his bike and he rode out into the street and was hit by a car and killed. And he says, I don't ever want any of my children ever growing up that anybody has been created to be mocked or to be made fun of or to be devalued. He said, you will stand up for everybody because they are valuable because they exist, not because they reach your level of what you think is proper. And he says, I can remember to this day the things that my dad were wearing because that conversation was so important to me and I knew it was so important to him. He says, I have an uncle who has Down syndrome on my mom's side of the family. And from my earliest childhood, I remember the first person that we would go and hug, hug would be Uncle Jim. We'd go right up there and hug him because we knew he was part of the family. He may have been different, but he was my family, and we loved him and respected him. And those things are things that we learn in the family. What I am saying is that there are certain things that families do. There are certain things that you underline and that you commit to and that you teach your children to. And if you ever catch yourself doing something different or if you ever catch your children doing something different that you can stop them and say, that is not the way that we do things in this family. For we will love everyone. They may look different than us. They may have a different accent or a different ethnicity. But we love people. One more little thing before I leave this topic. We need to be respectful of people who vote differently than we do as well. I have discovered that in this toxic political arena that we live in in America today, that it seems to be okay to enter into that arena with a chip on our shoulder and with anger because they are different in the way they vote. Let me tell you something. We have people from every political party in our church, and there is no such thing as a righteous party. There is no one more righteous than another. In fact, the king that I serve and the kingdom that I belong to is not of this world. We've sang about it today that he is the king of kings and he's the lord of lords, and everything here is a very poor representation of what we will see when we finally get home. So be kind with one another. You can disagree all you want, but do it without being disagreeable. And let's respect one another. Number eight, families that are healthy play. They play. I was surprised by the research that stresses how important it is for high-functioning families to have family stories that, that surround activities that they all participated in. That your children, they won't remember days, they will remember activities. They will remember when we went on vacation. Remember when we did this thing. Remember when we did that. And, and, and that fills their love bucket on the inside with memories because families have played together. And I know it gets to the point where we try to work so hard that we forget that there are things that we as a family just need to do together. Because in that unity, there is something that is brought out and it becomes a huge deal. So let me ask you, as you take your assessment, how well does your family play together? Number nine, rituals and traditions. Healthy families celebrate meaningful rituals and traditions together. I discovered something yesterday. I've seen it many times, but I discovered this. Do you know that you can have a party as a family with a gender reveal party? 
We never had those when I was growing up. Gender reveal was when the doctor held you up. My son and his wife, Malia, were at our house this weekend, and we've known for uh, a couple of weeks that they were going to be expecting a new baby, but we had every cell phone in the house with different family members on FaceTime, and we're, we're pointing it at the cake, and our granddaughter, who's, who's just about four, is sitting on our mom's lap, and, and everybody's looking as they take the knife to cut into the cake, and if it's blue on the inside, it's a boy. If it's pink, it's a girl, and, and Keith and Malia together cut the cake and pull out the piece, and it was blue! And Keith and I celebrated, and Kalia burst into tears, <laughs> hysterically crying, No! No! <laughs> that was meaningful. <laughs> I will never forget the image. And then I want you to know that when you're holding phones, everybody thinks they can talk at the same time. Can't hear a thing of what they're saying, but we're all just talking. There's things that we do as families that build together the, some of the traditions and activities. And, and some of you have family traditions that are so valuable that you might not think much of, but they are valuable. Some of your kids know on Christmas they are not opening their presents until you've read the Christmas story. They've heard it a million times. But they know we don't touch the gifts until Jesus has been talked about. It's family tradition. And they understand that, and they take that on as they move forward. So take the little assessment and write down, how do you do in the area of traditions? And then lastly, healthy families seek help when they need it. There are times when families come to an impasse. There's times when situations have arisen where two people are so firmly entrenched in their position and their belief that it's going to take some outside help and counsel to come to a conclusion that would be peaceful. I want you to know this. Nobody's family can honestly hang a sign on the front porch that says, there's nothing the matter here. We got it all together. None of us can do that. We also come from a previous generation where the motto of the family was, what happens in the family stays in the family, and we don't talk about family business with anybody, especially if it's going to embarrass us. I trust that we've come to a place where we recognize that God has gifted us as a society with people who are gifted counselors and helpers that can take families from places of impasse and lead them to places of victory through great godly counsel. I hope that we know that, that you can get help from your church or your small group or from a friend or from a Christian marriage counselor or from a, a Christian family counselor. It's not a closed system. Those that are healthy will learn to seek help when they need it. And so when your family is in trouble, do you get help? Do you read books together? Do you have a prayer room in your house? Or do you have a closed system where you say, you know what, this is a festering infection in our family and our life, but we're not telling anybody about it. We're going to keep it to ourselves because if you do, that's very dangerous, having that kind of a system. So healthy families will learn to seek help when they need it. And there are times that we all need it. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would please come. We're going to be having communion together as a church family in just a moment. I want you to know that while we sing, the ushers are going to begin to distribute the elements. And when you get them... I'm going to ask that you would each hold them until everybody has been served, and then I will lead us in communion. 
I also want you to know you may not be a member of our church, but that's not a necessity in order to participate in communion with us. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, then you're a part of the family of God, and we're going to celebrate our brother Jesus today and what he has done for us.